Let's open God's words together. So today, Pastor Charlie will be uh, preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. The subtitle is Salt and Light. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Thanks so much, Chiba. Well, as you are aware, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, I've been away for four Sundays, uh, which has been a great time of refreshing and revival and certainly spending time with God. And, and I think in my personal quiet times and Bible studies, God just really emphasized our need to remember, our need to reflect uh, on all he has done for us and what he has done, not just for me as a Christian and as a follower of Christ, but what he does for us in this world. And I think as we look at the passage of Scripture this morning, Morning. I'm going to work on you guys. Hey, yeah, your camera operators wouldn't have normally been used to someone walking like this. Hey, hey. good luck. <laughs> so, I think the passage of scripture that we're looking at this morning is one that encourages reflection. It's, it's one that encourages us to look back at that first call when we first gave our life to the Lord Jesus Christ and to question what that was all about. And certainly as we move through these series, the series that Pastor Darrell is doing in the morning, the one that I'm going to commence in the, in the evening, it's all about the call and commission that God has on our life and what that means to the wider world, how we should be interacting with those around us. And certainly that will will be some of the focus that we look at this morning. Um, Pastor Darrell mentioned that um, because I'm doing the three services today, don't panic, Charlie will be able to do the same message for all three services. That actually doesn't work. The service I'm doing this evening will be an introduction to the six to eight week series we'll be doing in, in the evening. So if I brought that message to you, you'd have no idea what was going on and you certainly wouldn't get uh, the rest of the message. But as has already been mentioned, we're going to be talking about you being salt and light. As Christians living in this world today, I think you'd have to be deaf, dumb, stupid and blind to not realise that the world is characterised by moral corruption and spiritual darkness. I think back just upon my short life and think about the things that have occurred in my lifetime which have been incredibly evil, the things that have changed the world forever. And it seems that humanity has this inbuilt ability to embrace immorality and oppose things that are good and to ignore truth and to suppress the word of God. 
And sometimes we, we, we despair, we get into this thinking that this is something that's unique. This is something that is happening for us at this time and no one else has experienced it. But the reality is it was no different when Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he came as the light of the world. And his plan and purpose now is the same as what it was back then. His plan and purpose is that each and every believer is salt and light for him in this place at this time. And our reading that we heard read to us by Chiwa this morning is just after Jesus proclaimed the Beatitudes. He's just spoken about how a Christian should live. They should be poor in spirit. They are to mourn for their sins. They are to be meek. They are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. They are to be merciful. They are to be the pure in heart. They are to seek peace. But they're not to do those things in isolation. They're not to be a good Christian on Sunday in church and a good Christian at home in their households. Our faith is not to be a secret. And Jesus, as we know, came to save us through his death upon the cross. And even though we were once of this world, even though we followed evil, whether we would commit and admit that or not, we were saved and commissioned. And what we need to realize is so many people say that God is ignoring the world. If God was true, then he would step in. He would do something about the evil that we see around us so much. And the thing is, he isn't ignoring the world. He isn't ignoring what is happening. He has saved you and he saved me in order to leave us here in this place at this time to be what the world so desperately needs. Salt and light. And I know many think they're inadequate. Many think they do not have what it takes to serve the Lord and to serve the Lord well. As we move through this passage this morning, I want you to think about the people that are hearing the words Jesus is speaking. I want you to think about their occupations, their education. His followers were thrown together from all walks of life. Many of them were uneducated. We're a lot more educated these days than people were back then. Many of them were laborers, outcasts, rejects. And he said to them, you, only you, are the salt of the earth. Those who follow me, those who declare themselves my disciples, those who believe in me, you are the salt. You are the light of the world. And it's your responsibility to be active in this world. Jesus is saying, I believe in you. I believe in your abilities. You are salt and light for the world. Just trust me, believe in me, lean upon me, and we can do this together. You know what's stranger than Jesus actually saying that to this ragtag bunch of people? They did it. With Jesus' power, with his strength, with indwelling Holy Spirit, these disciples actually did it. They submitted and they obeyed Jesus and his call upon their life and they became the salt and light that the world so desperately needed. 
And this word is a word for us today. It is no different for us than what it was for the disciples back then. Jesus believes in each and every one of you. He has called you for a purpose. He has called you for a reason. And you are salt and light. Claim it. Live in that moment. And be salt and light for our Saviour. Let's pray. Father God, you're an awesome God. And uh, my break, my holidays has just been... So encouraging for me to rest in all you've done for me and to acknowledge afresh that you saved a wretch like me. And Lord, this morning, my desire is just that those gathered here, those at home, perhaps those who will listen to this message into the future as it's recorded, that they'll encounter you that they'll hear the truth of your word and that this will be a word for them that encourages them to live in your presence, your power, your glory and to submit themselves fully to you each and every day so that we can see others brought into the kingdom and so we can be your salt and light in this dark world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And what we're looking at, obviously, is a teaching of Jesus to his church, the genuine believers of this world, those he'd called out of darkness into light. It's the light of salvation. When we accepted him as as our Lord and Savior, he empowered us through Holy Spirit. We were adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. And when we think about that father-type relationship with him, we know that he wants to empower and equip his children to be all that they can be for him. The mums and dads amongst us, isn't that what you wanted for your kids? You wanted the very best so that they could excel in whatever they chose in life. And when we think about our Heavenly Father, He wants us to excel. He's not going to leave us on our own. He's going to dwell with us and He's going to give us all we need to fulfill what He wants us to be. Sons and daughters of the Most High God, members of the universal church, we are one because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And this is the most important thing, the most important relationship you will ever have on this earth. It trumps everything by a long shot. And if you don't believe that, I think you need to dig a little deeper. I think you need to reflect on what you were before you met Jesus Christ, before you encountered him. I've got a dark and dirty past, but Jesus looked past that. He forgave me. We need to know and find Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and we need to rest in that. And we live in a world that is more and more viewing the church in frustration, in anger, in in hatred. They see us as weak. They see see us as irrelevant. They see us as out of touch with the times, not moving with the times and being accepting. They say we oppose progress. And Jesus says, don't believe that. Don't fall into that trap. Don't compromise. You and you only are salt and light of the world. And today, more than ever, the world needs salt and light. And there's a command that comes within this passage of Scripture, and I hope we don't miss it. And we'll focus on that a little bit, a little bit later on. But first and foremost, we're going to focus on you are salt. 
One of the things which really stands out for me as I spend time reading this and try and understand it is that uh, this is not a compliment. This isn't about building you up and saying that you're something that you're actually not. You are the salt of the earth. And pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. This isn't about who you could be. This isn't about who you grow up to be. This isn't about growing in spirituality until you attain a certain saltiness. Have you any idea how hard it is to be mixing and mingling with young people these days and be talking about being salty Christians with the slang meaning for salty these days? It's exactly the opposite of what Scripture says. But anyway, that's where we're at. So this isn't about what you could be. This is Jesus saying, if you call yourself a follower of mine, if you say you are a Christian, then you are salt of the earth. We are not one amongst many who could be the salt of the earth. We are the salt. Anything else is an imitation. Anything else is not true salt. It's what it means to be a believer. There is no other option. You believe and you become salt. But it's an honor and it's a privilege be called into such a hugely significant role for our Lord and Saviour. And again, so many people feel inadequate. So many people feel they don't measure up. And again, reflect on those people that Jesus had around him. He had fishermen. He had tax collectors. And yes, he had doctors. But he had many others who were just common people, people from the marketplace, people who had no special gifting, no special calling, no high education. And Jesus said to them, you are salt, each and every one of you. You are salt of the earth. And Jesus says, you are the salt in the world. And those presents perhaps would have reflected on what salt was used for. Think about the fact that Peter, Andrew, James and John were all fishermen. And we would imagine that on occasion they took very big catches of fish. We have at least one occasion recorded in Scripture. And if they have this large catchment of of fish, uh, they couldn't sell them in their common markets. They'd possibly ship the fish off to another place. And in order to do that, for the fish to stay fresh, they had to salt it. And so salt was used to preserve. Salt was used to stop decay. Salt was used to stop rotting. And it wasn't just for fish, it was for all types of meat, all types of protein. And when the meat was left to itself, as we know, without the preserving influence of salt or in our day and age, without the refrigeration or the ice, it quickly begins to deteriorate. It rots, it decays, and it becomes useless. I want you to think about what it means to be a preserver as a representative of Jesus in the world, as a representative of God. And, and we seem to get a bit trapped when we think about stuff like this, but I want you to think about Abraham. Uh, I want you to think about that conversation that Abraham had with those three beings that came when they were heading down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and this is in Genesis 18. And he begins by asking the Lord, Lord, if there's 50 righteous people in the city, 50 righteous people in the city, Will you save the city for the sake of the 50? And Abraham and his boldness continues to question the Lord until we come to here. And he gets down to 10. He says, Lord, if you come to the city of Sodom, talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and if you find 10 righteous, Lord, will you save the city for the sake of the 10 righteous? The righteous are preserving influence. 
in these cities. For the sake of ten, Jesus would say, uh, God would save Sodom and Gomorrah. His judgment would not fall upon them. Do you know how big the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were? They estimate between 50 and 60,000. For the sake of ten righteous people, God would turn away from his judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that ten righteous weren't found in Sodom and Gomorrah. But this is part of that preserving of the presence of God's people in a city. And I've seen it again and again throughout Scripture where the presence of someone who is righteous. Think about Joseph. Joseph, when he goes and he works in Potiphar's house and suddenly Potiphar's house is in good order and everything is excelling. When Joseph is in the prison, a place where you could hardly think that any good can come, we see that things excel so much so that the jailer puts Joseph as the two I see at the prison so that it all runs so smoothly. And then as Joseph is blessed because he's just faithful to God in whatever situation he finds himself in. He ends up becoming the 2IC of Egypt, an exile, a prisoner, a slave, the 2IC of Egypt because God's hand was upon him and the blessing that came through Joseph to those around him preserved them, built them up. I want you to think about the people you know. And I've been abundantly blessed to know people like this. There's, there's people you know that when they come into your presence, those around you modify their behaviour immediately. The way they speak change. Perhaps even the way they stand changes. They seem to stand more upright. Smiles appear on their faces because the one who comes in is just one of those people who loves Jesus so much. And it can't be questioned. You see it in their life. And it is a delight and a joy to be in their presence. Have you experienced that? I can see a few heads nodding. That's the presence of God with them. That's them just shining for Jesus, being that salt. And it modifies behavior. You would never dream of saying a questionable joke in the presence of that person. You would never dream of speaking about things that weren't honouring and glorifying with that person. They are the salt of the earth. And I know you know people like that. And so, when Jesus calls us the salt, this is him working through people. And it is those people, each and every one of us, when we submit to God, when we revere him, when we have this personal desire to draw closer to him as holy and acceptable instruments for his use, when we daily sanctify ourselves, our willing obedience, all these things are manifestations of Holy Spirit indwelling us. And it is his presence with us, his holy church, that will have a sanctifying and purifying impact upon those around us. And this is the salt that preserves. And every believer is called to be that salt. It prevents evil from being all it could be. It holds it back.
And what we don't really think about, readily think about, is that those who were listening to Jesus at this time would have also connected salt with purity. And we've got this habit of saying, well, okay, salt is white and white is pure, and so salt can have that purity connection. But we seem to forget that there's a few things in Scripture about salt. And the other thing we don't know is that the Romans used to say that salt was pure. They say salt is produced from the two purest things on earth, the sun and the sea. And so the Romans themselves believed salt was pure. But what we don't realise, or many of us don't realise, is that salt was part of the offerings that the Israelites made to God. So as they made their offerings, a lot of those offerings were sprinkled with salt. And they were called upon to do that, as you see in these passages of Scripture from Leviticus and Ezekiel. God calls us. God's call to be salt is also about our purity. The standard is one of absolute purity in speech, in conduct, and even down to our very thoughts. When we think about what is actually said here, Second Corinthians tells us to take every thought captive. 1 Peter 1.13, if you read the King James Version of 1 Peter 1.13, uh, where it says sober-minded, it actually says gird up your mind. It's about preparing your mind for the things of Christ. It's about taking those thoughts captive again. And so when we talk about this purity, that's what it's talking about. It's not just about living out, people looking upon you and seeing a life for Jesus. It's about you taking those thoughts captive. So everything that flows from you, your mouth every thought that you have is God honoring I know how hard that is but with God's hand and blessing we can overcome some of those thoughts that we have we're to take these thoughts captive we're to prepare our minds for action because we've set them fully upon the things of Christ that's what this talks about here and the final thing that Jesus listeners would possibly think about when it comes to salt is that salt adds flavor I love hot chips, especially in winter. Nothing more depressing, because my, my good wife doesn't like me having hot chips. So the one, odd day I can convince her, if I can convince her that we can have some hot chips, if I get these chips and I open them up, you know, I'm salivating, I'm ready for this thing, and you pick that first one up and it doesn't have enough salt on it, or it doesn't have any salt on it, it's like, ah, oh, come on, really? This one every six-month event, and no salt, no flavour? Ever eaten egg white without a little bit of salt? Gorgeous, isn't it? Salt adds that taste, it adds that flavour. And if I have these hot chips and I don't have that little bit of salt, actually I prefer not to eat them. It seems to be a total waste of money. And Jesus calls his followers to be that salt, to be the flavour that draws. And so many look upon the church these days and think of us as people who have had the very life sucked out of them. That we're just a people who have to follow a whole heap of boring, strict rules and regulations. Mind you, archaic rules and regulations too, things that don't apply but when people look upon us, they should see something different. They should see a life that they don't have. They should see a joy in the midst of difficult situations because we know the promises that Jesus has made for us and we have a hope for eternity. We know that regardless of what happens, we're going to be with him and we should be so passionate about that that we can't contain it. When we see the things that Jesus is doing in the lives of those around us, again, we should want to express that. We should want to talk about that. And so there's this overwhelming joy. There's this spirit 
of joy that they don't have. And when they look upon us, they should be like, wow, what is happening there? We have a saviour who is constantly present with us, who is more than willing to help us in whatever we have to face. Where is that sparkle? Where is that knowledge that it doesn't matter we don't know what's coming because Jesus knows and he's going to carry us through it regardless of what that is? Where's the joy? It's like we've become a bit like the church of Laodicea and that says, because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spew you from my mouth. God speaking, a very graphic, a very disgusting message, but it's just like that chip without salt. It's not good. It's not good. But isn't that what the last part of this says? If you have lost your saltiness, you're good for nothing. Isn't that what it says? The only thing you're good for is to be thrown out and trampled under feet. Not my words. But Jesus isn't finished. He goes on to say, you are the light of the world. We know from many passages of scripture that Jesus is the light of the world. John 8, 12 is Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but they shall have the light of life. In John 9, 5, it says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And yet here he says, you are the light of the world. And Jesus was the light of the world while he was in this world. His disciples at that time didn't know that he was going to leave them. They didn't know that they, would have their entire, they, they wouldn't have their entire life with him. They didn't know that Jesus was going to die. And when he came, he truly was the light. But when he ascended after rising from the dead, his call was for his followers to be his light bearer. And this is not a new thought for the Jewish nation. It was always intended that Israel would be a light to the nations, to the Gentiles. And they knew that the lamp of Israel was not a creation of their own. They knew that the lamp that shone from them was the light that God himself had placed amongst them. And so when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, it's not a demand to produce light. It's not a demand to do something on your own. It's a willingness to reflect the light that is Jesus. It's a light that shines brightly in the midst of spiritual darkness. And the primary purpose of a light is to be seen. In Jesus' day, lamps were lit and they were put in an elevated position. They were raised so that the best possible advantage would be gained from that light. And Jesus calls for his followers to allow their light the light of Jesus, to shine through them, not just on the days when believers meet here at church or in your connect groups. His call is for that light to shine even more brighter in a spiritually dark world. It's about submitting all of ourselves to him, all of our lives to him, so that he constantly shines through us. You are the light of the world as a believer. You are the light in your workplace, in your school, in your university, in your neighborhood. Jesus is calling you to live in such a way that people will see the light of Christ in us. 
The second thing that light does is that it guides people. I've been in some very dark places. I went through the tunnels of Hezekiah in Israel. My goodness, I've never been in anything so black and dark. You are not permitted to go in if you do not have a light. And my group, being the brave fools we were, were in water about this deep. They said, let's all turn our lights off. Man alive. You literally couldn't see your hand. It didn't matter where you put it. There was no light. You could see nothing. And we're walking along, brave, and the water's getting deeper and deeper. And we had no idea which way this tunnel went. And when we flicked those lights back on, man, it was such a relief. Light is used to guide. And we are called the light of the world. And we are called that light to guide people to Jesus. We are to shine in such a way that they are drawn to him. And ultimately, it's about salvation. It's not just about bringing them to church. It's about challenging them about their life, where they're headed, what they want. It's about telling them that we have a saviour in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, for those of you who boat, I used to go fishing at night quite a bit. I had a boat. And you could safely navigate channels at night if you stayed within those channel markers. You didn't need to worry about what was underneath you. Someone had gone before you and shown the way and you could just hoot up there as fast as you wanted even though you didn't know what was there as long as you stayed between those lights. The light of Christ is a guide for each and every one. He is calling us to point out to people the way of salvation, how they can experience God's grace, love and forgiveness. And we've been given the message of salvation. You've heard me say it again and again and again. Matthew 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I have commanded. And lo, I will be with you always. That's Jesus' commission for each and every believer, not pastors, not evangelists. Some people have a special calling on their life. And I've seen people like this where I've worked with someone and I've presented the gospel to them so many times and they just don't seem to get it. And it's almost like this person can walk up and go, Jesus, and the person falls on their face and seeks repentance. Some people are gifted like that. That doesn't excuse us from not talking about Jesus. We need to do that. Gary and Ruth have just walked back in. How easy would it have been for these guys to finish up in Japan and go, we have completed our call for God. And we would have all said, thank you so much. What a blessing you've been to those people. But Gary and Ruth know the call upon their life is to continue to shine that light. And so they come back to Australia and they go like, well, God, how does this work? We believe we're called to the people of Japan, but we're in Australia. How's that going to work? And they've commenced this ministry. How many groups are you leading now? Bible study groups are now happening? Seven. Isn't that incredible? Seven Japan and who knows God, if, if it was God's plan for that to happen, it would have happened regardless of Gary and Ruth. But because Gary and Ruth were brought back here by God, we have seven groups of Japanese people studying God's word. Salt and light is what we're called to. And don't hear me pointing Gary and Ruth out and saying they're special people. This calls for all of us. It's the same for each and every one of us. And yes, they're one of those ones that God called particularly to be missionaries. They're gifted in that area. But we can all speak about Jesus. I think we take our salvation for granted. I think we fail to see how incredible 
It is. Will you just look at this? You know, when we think about salvation, when we think about what Jesus does for us, I don't know whether you think about it just being this little light that you have. What does Jesus say the power and impact of your salvation is? He says it's a city on a hill. Have you ever been in a place where there's this city on a hill and you've missed it? I don't think so. It sticks out. And even at night, if we said to the people in that city, you know what, we don't want you to turn your normal lights on. We just want everyone to light one little candle. Just stand in your city and light that one. Do you think you'd miss it? I don't. And that's the whole point that Jesus was making. The story that you have, the story of salvation is so huge, you cannot hide it. Do you get it? Do you understand what salvation is about? Do you understand what life eternally with him is all about? Do you understand that if you're not salt and you're not light and you're not drawing people, they are going to rot and they're going to rot in hell for eternity? You're a city on a hill. You can't hide it. Submit to Jesus. Do his work. A city is something that is planned. It didn't happen by accident. It's something that is placed strategically. When Jesus saved you, he didn't make a mistake. He's been strategic. He's put you where you are for a reason. He put his light in you so that you would shine right where you are in your present circumstances. He put you where you are so you would be noticed. And we are not noticed for ourselves. We are noticed for him, for his glory. And for us to be all that Jesus wants us to be, our light must be visible. These are Jesus' words. Light, right here, right now. You are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world, right now. No special spirituality you need to attain. No extra call on your life. You are salt and light of the world. And there is no other plan. This is it. Jesus' plan to save the world is you. So many seem to think it's okay to have a secret faith, to not tell others about their relationship with Jesus. But think about what we've heard this morning. We are living in a world of increasing moral decay. God has saved you so that you can be the salt of the earth, that which purifies, that which cleanses, that which seasons the earth, that which acts as a preservative to prevent corruption. And there's no plan B. You're it. If you aren't willing to come alongside people, it isn't just a lump of meat that's going to be lost. It's a life that's going to be lost for eternity. And remember, if you choose not to be salt, to not be obedient to the call that Jesus has on your life, this passage says you're good for nothing except to be thrown out. Jesus also said we are the light of the world. And we know that the light in us is the very light of Christ, that which pierces spiritual darkness. We've seen it in our own lives. It illuminates, it exposes sin, it reveals truth, it points the way to truth, grace and salvation. And if we call ourselves followers of Christ, we've been so incredibly blessed to experience this gift of Jesus, this city on a hill, this gift of salvation, forgiveness and acceptance, the promise of glory. Remember, 
remember what great favour God has bestowed upon us. He didn't do it because I was a good person. He didn't do it because I had something to offer. He did it because of his love, his grace. It's bigger than anything we could ever hope or dream of. It's a city on a hill. Something impossible to hide. Something we should desire to tell others about. And this is a call for each and every one of us. Be as strong and faithful a Christian in the nine to five as we are on Sunday. Our Christian walk should be evident in the workshop, in the warehouse, in the office, in the schoolroom, in the car park, in the surgery, in the kitchen, in the sporting field, on the golf course, wherever we are, whatever we do, shine his light, be salt. Father, Again, I thank you. You challenged me first and foremost with this message and word. And Lord, God, I know you challenge people here. You've challenged people at home. Let us not be happy with just that challenge. Let us take steps to change what we've been doing. And Lord, I pray that we'll be those people who are meek, who humbly come to you, acknowledging our desperate need of you, who will resubmit ourselves to you, who will give our lives over to you this very day, Lord. And this week, Lord, will be a week where we constantly pray for those divine appointments, where we can be your influence upon this world, Lord where we can reflect your light, where we can be salt for you, Lord, salt that sees and salt that pushes back against the moral decay of this world. Lord, I pray I'll get contacted by a ton of people who just want to tell me good news stories about what you've done in their life this week. And together, we can celebrate your goodness to us. Thank you for your gift of salvation. Thank you for saving me. And thank you that you saved me for a reason and a purpose. In Jesus' name.